Hello and welcome to Handled Hey. It's Corey Vaughn with Adam Samaha. And today we are, uh, I think we're going to talk about Harold. I hope so. Yeah, that's, uh, why, I'm here. that's why we're here. Uh, we're talking about Rhonda's Glasses. Uh, it's written by Antoinette Stella and directed by Larry Leichleiter. Beautiful name. Beautiful name. Um, this is a loaded episode. Uh, we talk about civil unrest. We talk about equality. Blindness and sight. All sorts of fantastic things. That's true. Um, I mean, this is this was one of my favorite ones to record. Is that real? That's hundred percent real. Yeah, I don't lie on this podcast. We, that's not true. Uh, it's true. I don't lie. Uh, we could have. It's a little longer. That's because there are so many layers of onion to peel. So much good stuff in there. I think you should listen to the whole thing. Yes. And even if you don't. Um, even if you just email somebody, review it. Even if you haven't listened, that's fine. With that me. would be yeah. great. Please rate and review. But we really hope you listen to this one because I think it's a good one. It's a yeah. Um, and you know, we say this a lot, like email us those sorts of things. But like with this type of episode, it's such a loaded episode that if we talk about something in a way that you don't think is satisfactory, I definitely we would love to be grow we, to get to, to be better at what we do and your input we actually take to heart. Mm-hmm. You don't just have to say like you you did a great job. You like, can do that. You can do that, and, we, and it feels good. Ego, we have it, uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. even though we shouldn't. Ego, and, ego. And, and but yeah, we would we really take the criticism to heart. Um, yeah, we we talk about uh, race, poverty, and and even a little bit of um, gender identity, and we want to make. I mean, we're two white dudes sitting in a Fullerton studio trying to make the most sense out of this complicated episode yeah. we hope we did it justice yeah. um but if you yeah if you're offended or even if you're not offended but you just think like i see what you're trying to do there you should think about it like this or you please do that. yeah we'd like, love to hear that yeah because criticism we think is a good thing and and it helps us grow as people and as podcasters yeah mostly as podcast entrepreneurs is what we are entrepreneurs yes that's french we talk about the french a lot on this yeah we, we do actually talk about it a little bit yeah we're so cultured we oui, we oui. We, we 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 like we watch great films on YouTube, uh, clips of them. You know that's true. Yeah, um, I've never seen Lemmy. Lemmy is, is yeah. what he's trying to say. Um, stick around to the end because uh, we added a new segment. I'm not even going to tell you what it's called, and you're going to have to just wait and find out. You yeah, it's I'd say it's a pretty shitty bit that we do. <laughs> You'll get it. <laughs> You'll if you get listen. it later. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, please rate and review. Um, and enjoy uh this episode of Hey Arnold Hey. Thank you. In Rhonda's glasses, we find Rhonda Wellington Lloyd stuck with the geeks. For the entire episode. Well, not the entire episode. It starts out with her on the bus, and a new nerd in town shows up and tries to sit next to Rhonda at the front of the bus. And Rhonda says, no, 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 back of the bus. Uh, Calls her a geek, calls her some names, is really mean, which is, I guess, kind of normal for Rhonda. Uh, Cuts to the school where Rhonda's getting her required eye exam from the school nurse. And guess what? She fails. She has to get glasses. So it cuts to her and her mom who are at a a spectacles store and they are both losing it. 
Uh, Rhonda's crying. Her mom is panicking, trying to get a hold of her, Rhonda's father. Uh, and basically you see like classism at its finest. Um, just there's like all this family baggage behind glasses and, uh, you know, um, her mom is calling her saying that the glasses are taking away her beauty and her dad says, I'll get you a pony if you calm down. Um, so there's this like rich, uh, bourgeoisie kind of, um, mentality that glasses are only for, uh, those who are lesser than, uh, and so it then cuts to the bus the next day and Rhonda is now wearing glasses and she gets sent to the back of the bus. A little note about the back of the bus full of geeks, uh, Eugene, Brainy, Sheena, and Curly and Eugene barfs because he gets carsick and classic, classic mouth breathers back classic there. mouth breathers. Uh, so Rhonda gets sent back with them and the new girl as well. Um, and so she starts kind of, Basically, the next two thirds. Uh, so the first third is her getting the glasses. This second third is her coming to terms with um, her basically geekdom. She's still kind of in denial, um, but she knows that her she says her my life is over. Uh, and so more of these sort of things happen where she gets embarrassed uh, because of her new glasses. She um, uh, yeah, she so she gets sent to the back of the bus. Um, she. Uh, go, she finds out that the nurse who is Sheena's aunt and just looks like an old lady uh, with ugly glasses was the popular girl. And so she, Rhonda's like the, the, the aunt was a popular girl. And when she was in school and so Rhonda's like, no, I'm not going to wear these glasses and turn out like this. That's not said, but it's, uns, it's an unspoken truth because then she does this thing where she, that, that every kid who wears glasses does, I don't have to wear it all the time. And so she doesn't wear her glasses runs into a pole, has bubble gum on her butt, sits on her glasses, has toilet paper on her shoe, break, has to wear broken glasses with tape. Um, and all of these things lead up to her saying, uh, my life's over. And so it's like, she's, she's accepted that that's who she is, that she's now geek. And so the rest of the episode is kind of, what is she going to do about it? And so she starts noticing um, all these different like class structure problems in the school because of the glasses, um, because of the difference between geeks and, and everyone else, basically. But she sees it because of the glasses that she's wearing, uh, which we will talk about more later. Uh, so she finds out that all the geeks sit at a broken table. They use a flat, flat ball um, to play Foursquare, and they don't even get to save Foursquare seats. So... That on top of the back of the bus, Rhonda then gets into this impassionate speech about uh, what it means to be human, basically. Um, that just because they're geeks doesn't mean that they don't feel the things that kids feel. And so she kind of does this rallying cry in the night uh, and all the geeks are, start screaming, uh, uh, queen of the geeks, queen of the geeks. And so when it cuts to the bus the next day, there's this power when they walk in and... Um, Instead of being sent to the back of the bus, Rhonda sends the cool girl to the back of the bus. Rhonda and Eugene, they take the front seat. All the kids are doing musical chairs. Um, and everyone seems content. And the next, the next, it then cuts to the next day where Rhonda's wearing like fancy uh, uh, rich person glasses. And you're like, oh no, she's going to go back to her ways. But instead she offers the seat next to her to the 
geeky girl you see at the beginning of the episode, the new kid at school. And there's this sweet bond moment where um, they, they, their connection is the glasses and there's so much different between them, but they share that space and the girl just nods her head up and down. She doesn't have any lines. Um, but Rhonda, yeah, accepts her and, um, as being Rhonda, she's still Rhonda. Yeah. But she is seeing this girl for who she is. Um, yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, and there's so many like nitpicky things that we're definitely going to talk about. Cause this is like, this episode is so loaded. Um, I'm surprised that they went for it because the, basically it, there's so many moving parts, but they do it so well. Oh, it's, it's and real, eloquently. And yes. Yeah. And it's like, there's definitely a message that they're driving home. Of course. Yeah. And they pretty much systematically go through and do that. Yeah. But it's not in an um, enjoyable way. Yeah, exactly. In an enjoyable way. And I think, you know, a lot of these, there are a lot of villainous characters, not villains necessarily, but they have villainous tendencies. Um, so you have Helga, she's a brat who is bossy. Um, and manipulative. You have Harold, who's a bull, kind of a misunderstood, um, overweight, beat him up kind of bully. And then you have Rhonda, who is a snob. Um, she thinks she's better than everyone else. And so, you know, you you could have done this, I guess, with Harold or Helga, but I don't think it would have had the same effect. I think Rhonda was the perfect kind of um, antagonist to be put into the situation um, because, yeah, she's this like, she comes from this wealthy family, and this is your first the first time you see her family, um, her mom, who's this just like totally snobby, uh, entitled woman. Um, so yeah, I think it makes sense that, that Rhonda's the one put into this narrative. Um, yeah. What, any other quick thoughts before we jump in? No, maybe we should just jump in. Cause I feel like we'll be able to touch all of it in the process. Totally. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple really good scenes that could be seen as the thesis scene, but I, I think, you know, we were, we were thinking about it and the piece we like the most is when Rhonda brings up that rallying cry, um, for, she's, yeah, she's like asserting her humanity and bringing in the, those yes. disadvantaged groups along with her. Yeah. So let's, um, let's take a listen to that. Why did we let the other kids take cuts on our court? Curly was saving it for us. It's okay. They probably didn't see him. See, once you're a geek, people don't really notice you. Look, we shouldn't have to play with the flat ball. We deserve a good ball, like everybody else. Uh, everybody can hear you, Rhonda. Good. I want them to hear me. We shouldn't have to sit at the worst table in the cafeteria, either. And what's the deal with the back of the bus? Why should we have to get thrown around like a sack of potatoes? Why us? Why? Don't geeks have feelings, too? If you tickle us, don't we laugh? If you prick us, don't we bleed? She's right. It's always been this way, Rhonda. I don't think one kid like you is going to change it. Then you don't know, Eugene. If Rhonda Lloyd has to be a geek, then the rules about geeks are going to change. Are you with me? Are we going to fight this injustice together? I don't know about that. Nobody really cares what we think, Rhonda. Then it's about time, Eugene. It's about time you show the other kids that below that pencil neck of yours beats a brave heart. And you too. Don't let anybody put you down. Be proud of who you are. You're so brave, Rhonda. You're the queen of the geeks. Queen of the geeks. Queen of the geeks. Queen of the geeks. So... Uh, that's that seems powerful because it starts with her recognizing the thing that she wants, which is, um, I want a fully blown, uh, uh, four square ball. I want 
um, a table that doesn't fall apart. I want to sit where I want to on the bus. And, and those are like the practical elements of discovering her humanity and the humanity of those around her, which is the next step of her rallying cry. And that this speech she gives is, and truly this is what it is. It's part Shakespearean um, monologue and part uh, civil rights movement kind of um, uh, uh, speech. It, it, it carries a lot of weight in it. And it actually directly references um, The Merchant of Venice, uh, which is a play by Shakespeare. And this is, I've never seen it, but I basically, when you hear, when you hear this quote and you're over like 15 years old, it's like, oh, that sounds familiar. There's something about this speech that sounds familiar. And it's the lines, um, when you prick us, will we not bleed? And when you tickle us, will we not laugh? Um, that's directly taken from, uh, the Merchant of Venice. And there's a character. Al Pacino. <sighs> Al Pacino. Is, is that Al Pacino? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We just watched the, the, the. the YouTube clip brought to you by it. YouTube. They're yeah. a sponsor for the episode. Thanks YouTube. Um, the character's name is, is, uh, Shylock. He is a, uh, a Jewish character in this play. And he is kind of Shakespeare paints him as this villainous, uh, curmudgeon kind of crook. It's racist. No, to it's totally. Still a lot no, of the stereotypes it, of, it, and he does that on purpose. So yeah. she, she, the whole time you're thinking, oh yeah, this this Jewish person fits the stereotype of Jew during the 1500s or whenever, 1600s, whenever it was written. And um, what this speech does is it flips, it 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 goes against your expectations for who this character is, um, where it really humanizes this villainous character, which Hey Arnold is doing to Rhonda in this case. Um, it's a character you think you understand because she's villainous and kind of slimy and, and snobby, um, a little different than this other character who's more of a crook, I guess. Um, but both of them, by the end of the speech, you realize, oh yeah, actually they're right, which I hate to say because they're like creeps, but there, there's not, um, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like with Rhonda, it's like she has flaws and like I think the the through line with her and uh, uh, Harold and uh, Helga is that they have the potential and they have the tendency to like like rule over and lord over people, right? And so um, I think in in the, the uh, and then a tie to the the quote that you're talking about um, from Shakespeare is that there are stere like the stereotypes of that character, right? are like racist but like in the storyline there is truth yes, yes. to them and there's the same with Rhonda where she does right. have these flaws and the geeks that she's defending do have certain flaws yes like they have tendencies that like other quote-unquote normal people don't have right right, right? so it's it, as you're watching this you're going like well he throws up on the bus and this guy's a mouth breather right and you can right. kind of go down the list and right. they're like dorky kids but they still have they're still like they're still humans. Right. They still deserve dignity. Yeah. They deserve like a, like you said, like a table that works. Like they don't deserve the worst, the dregs that, that right. life has to offer. Yeah. So, and I, I think connecting that sentiment, that, that specific speech to a civil unrest, civil rights, civil equality kind of movement um, makes a lot of sense. Um, Cause you don't actually see her confront the snobs until she gets on the bus the next day. But, um, I think it's still, you know, it, 
because in in the in the in Shakespeare he's confronting his his enemies right right there as he's giving this monologue. Um, any, anyway, so well, I, I, but I think it's worth diving into the identity <clears throat> component of this too, really quick. Is that yeah. so? When you are a marginalized group of people, there is like a way that you're perceived to be, and those some there's like a self fulfilling prophecy yeah. component to some of that. So and, and you talk about that, and they they talk about that in this Hey Arnold episode where when she's initially sent to the back of the bus, uh, is it Eugene? The, yeah. The open can as a hair Um, that is actually what he looks like yeah yeah. the the red the curly red hair yeah yeah he like immediately hands her like would you like to try this pocket protector like it's like you're a geek therefore you need glasses therefore you need a pocket protector so it's like and a thing that is like assigned to that type of identity and he like very quickly recognizes like you're gonna need this essentially yeah if you're gonna fit in with us yeah so there's like this playing the part that these Mm -hmm. marginalized people Mm -hmm. do too Mm -hmm. because they understand there's still a role in society and it's like supposedly their job to fulfill yeah. that role. Um, and I think that uh, the Shakespeare narrative and this, that's like true with lots of groups of people. Right, right. So it's like, like, and we were talking about this before we were recording, but like you're quote unquote a victim of circumstance. Like it, this is the systemic element of it is really deep rooted, even on the individual level. So it's like, yeah. how much autonomy do these people really have? How much control over themselves do they really have? They have some, but they're like operating within a structure yeah. that requires certain things of them that and, aren't always good. And Rhonda recognizes this pretty quickly. Like, so she gets sent to the back of the bus. It then cuts back to the nurse's office, and she's like feigning illness because she's like so perturbed that she had to sit at the back of the bus. And you know, the nurse is trying to comfort her. Eugene is like so sweet. Says like, here's some crackers. When I feel nauseous, I eat like so nice. There's like in-group solidarity. Yeah. And um, Rhonda says, I don't remember what, how she gets into it, but basically she starts listing off all the quote, cool qualities she has. I throw the best sleepovers. I have the best fashion sense. I'm the, I'm rich. Like I, I don't remember even what the items, the things she listed were. And then she, she says, this one, this, the one thing, this pair of glasses has now thrown me off the top of the food chain. Uh, my words, not hers, but that's basically what she's saying is that her, her whole identity has been shifted because of one thing. And so that's the circumstance, the circumstances that she's blind and has crooked ears and therefore, you know, cannot, cannot be at top at the top of the food chain. Yeah. And it shows you like the confidence play of all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like the fact that she seems so sturdy yeah. because she has, like you said, but she's really just as fragile as everybody oh, of else. Of course. And she, she, so the identity part is even more important than the humiliation. So uh, there's, there's a repeated joke um, that changes slightly. And the first is I wrote it down. She said, she looks at her watch at eight fifteen, and she says, eight fifteen, my life is over. So she's, she sees the humiliation and she's saying I'm like, my life is over. I, there's no, no coming back from this. And so you would think that the next thing she would say, cause you know that that's going to repeat again. Like she's going to look at her watch and say, Oh, it's this time. Now what you think it's going to be worse than her life, which might maybe like, Oh, my ashes are going to be porn poured over, you know, a volcano or, you know, like something that's like even more dramatic than my life is over. But instead she just says, 11.45, I'm now a total geek. It's like that is even worse, worse than, than the death. humiliation. It's worse than death. Like like solidifying I am now a geek, that's the that's the end-all be-all for her, uh, which is pretty interesting. Like her, her identity, and it, it's, it's a stereotype about like women in America, but it, you know, like growing up, 
but it totally makes sense based on her story. Um, you hear her, her mother is speaking so highly about identity, family identity. Like it makes sense that her response would be, well, I like, I have my identity has disappeared. I'm a new identity. Pretty, pretty fascinating. And, um, sad too, I guess. Yeah. And I, so and I think what this is related to that is at, in the beginning scene where we're introduced with like the curly redheaded new, like dorky new girl, yeah. character, um, they, she says like, let's ask the mirror, like, let's look in the mirror and see what the mirror says. If you get to, if you're a dork or if you're cool and you get to sit at the yeah. front of the bus. And so supposedly <laughs> the thing that's fascinating about that is like the sort of giving off to something greater than oneself to make the determination, mm-hmm. but it's really not. Well, it's just thing. herself. It's just her It's a doing reflection it. of her, yeah. But what uh. it is pointing to is the structural component of what's going on. Right. It's that this thing is greater than us. We just have to follow the follow this rule. And it right. becomes more obvious yeah. when it happens to her. Because yes, then yes. there's this unnamed blonde girl sitting at the on the bus. And she said, like, when she says, like, ask the mirror, oh, you're a dork. Then she says, she's like, I don't make the rules. It's just the way that it is. Yes. That's another sign. Like, yeah. no, like, this is just the way that it is. It's and like that's the repeated a lot. Of what's going on. Like, yeah. Eugene's like, well, this is the way it's always been. Like, yeah. just always, it's always been this way. And so much that he's, he's like ashamed. He's this, like, um, the opposite of voice of reason. He's like, um, like. He, he he's the, he's the he's the he's the person that's been lorded over who has like accepted his fate. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like don't go against the grain, just like keep going. Yeah. It's like this for a reason. Yeah. You know, like someone's got to get fucked, it might as well be me kind of thing. Yeah. And it has been and I know what it's like. Well, it's weird because he he mostly the only time he feels sad is when Rhonda feels sad. Otherwise, he's like, yeah, it's just the way it's always been. Like there's no like yeah. like disappointment and the 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 first big emotional shift you see is when she starts like speaking out during that scene that we played for you. He's like, Rhonda, not so loud. People are going to hear you. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's ashamed of his, it's not his voice. It's hers, but really she's speaking for him. He's ashamed of his voice as a nerd, as a mm-hmm. geek, as a dork. Um, but she doubles down and says, I'm not ashamed. This is what needs to be said, um, which is a nice contrast. And it's, it's interesting because the entire rest of the episode, Eugene is this like um, positive force. For good uh but in that moment he's like trying to he he he's doing what the what the enemy you know the the people in power are doing they're silencing him he's gonna silence her well it's like self-censorship yes it's yeah and that's what he's fallen victim to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i think there's a lot of different like class dynamics to this, like oh you were gosh, saying yeah and there's a few we were talking about this before but i think there's this idea sort of like in when thinking about like how and this is like a leftist thing usually it's like wait, a, wait you know a little bit about leftist movements yeah slightly okay um but this thing of like what group of people has like legitimate revolutionary potential right and there's some people think that it's like poor people some people think it's working class people some people think it's like the intellectual class so it's like stepping into the people who need the revolution totally right? yeah. so it's like artists students right um writers philosophers those type of people have a revolutionary um potential other people think that's not true and i think what's interesting about this is that Rhonda 
acts as this like revolutionary figure. Yes. But you realize that it's like sort of and very much self-serving right. because although there is some sort of like new equilibrium, a new equilibrium that occurs on the bus mm. where like people can kind of sit wherever they want. So that oppressive structure is lifted and gone thanks to Rhonda. Yeah. Right. But then as soon as she starts engaging with her fellow geek or you know, fellow bus mate, she immediately finds a new way to assert herself above mm, them, mm. which is like, Oh, I don't just wear one type of glasses. I have a type of glasses for whatever activity that I'm doing, yeah, which yeah. you don't have. And right, you have to right. listen to me. And so it's still, there's still like a new oppressive structure that's being inserted in that yeah. moment. And it, and it, uh, it may be mm. different than before and better and better. Yeah. And to a degree where like yeah. the people who had less now do have more, but it kind of shows the overall kind of like necessary constant idea yeah, of like yeah. revolution or change where like things are uh, never fully over. Yeah. And, like and you it, think you make progress, ooh, but there's always change that needs to be made. That's good. Cause I was just going to say that the critique of course for this episode is, well, where do her glasses go? Because she's never seen wearing glasses again. And that's, you know, that could be seen as a goof, but I, I think in what you're saying is like, Of, of course, like it's, it's not about, it's, this is a moral fable. This isn't, totally. this isn't about whether or not she wears glasses. It's about like putting a thing that isn't another, like putting Rhonda into a place that she's never been before and telling a story about that. Mm-hmm. And, and really it's a moral story about, um, what is human? Like, what does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be seen? Um, and I had a thought with that that was more specific and I don't remember what it was. Well, and, and, uh, t- to take over for a second Go for it. so you can think about it. Um, it kind of, I think, also like asserts the necessity of sort of that inward squabbling mm-hmm. between like who truly has revolutionary potential. Because yeah. this episode sort of like leaves that question unknown. Right. Because yeah. if she kind of goes back to her old ways and it does empower these other people, but there is like yeah. a new equilibrium, then there is a net positive. Like there right. is a good thing. But it still like isn't sort of – it's more of a reform, less of yeah. a revolution type And thing. I remember – my thought was, look, she is back in a position of power, basically, and that's visually seen by the fact she doesn't wear glasses anymore. So she probably got contacts, and now she's like back at the top. So someone's gonna have to upend her again, which will happen. Um, there's an episode where she like invites all the cool kids to a party, and it's called Cool Party, and like the kids who aren't invited aren't cool. So I mean, this happens again and again with Rhonda because she's nine, and of course, nine year olds aren't gonna learn completely. Um, she just does it in a more like, um, uh, like in a, in a more independent way. It like, it's her own like narrative mm-hmm. of these people are cool. These are not instead of like, Oh, it's always been this way. So, well, and even when she uh, allows the a new geeky kid to sit next to her, she says like, um, as long as it's not an everyday thing. Totally. Yeah. And it shows the contingency of all of it. Yes. Yes. And it's like, and, and that is fascinating because then you kind of wonder again, like, was she just upset because this is her new reality and she doesn't like it? The answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or does she truly well, care about other people? And it's similar with her and Nadine. The same issue happened at the mm-hmm. end. She's like, okay, your idea is cool. But mine's a little bit better. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and, totally. And, and that's her saying, I accept your idea as an, as an idea. It no longer is tabled. We're going to do both. But as long as you remember that I'm still better. And, 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 and then you kind of wonder, like, is this harmful? Is this not mm. harmful? Because you have, like, a Eugene who, like, likes being a follower. And I think he's the first – and it's his comfortable role that he plays. He's the first one, I think, that calls her the queen of the dorks, right? Yes. So he yeah, yep. he's, like, queen always geeks, yeah. yes, looking for a leader of some kind. Mm-hmm. And, and she wants to be a leader. So it's yeah. like if, if – 
there's always going to be that sort of dynamic involved, but it's like, what is the end goal? Like, what is the thing that is being worked towards? I, I, I want to pause and say, I think our new, um, segment that we can add at the end of not every episode, only episodes where it's necessary is, uh, shit on Arnold, um, which isn't going to happen much. What is it? Shit on Arnold. Oh yeah. We're going to do that today just to, just to look forward to it. (laughs) Um, you'll see why I'm not going to, we'll get into it before cry of the week. Um, so yeah, we, so we were talking about like uh, uh, what it means to um, uh, like step into a revolutionary system and like be that voice. And uh, what I talking about that off mic, the thing that I went to immediately was Le, uh, Les Miserables, where you have these rich students that so many so many lines of of music and dialogue in this musical and in the book as well. Of course, the book came first. Um, uh, are referencing uh, these rich, these rich boys are gonna get found out. They're gonna get caught. They're gonna they're gonna die. They're gonna shed blood. Um, and so there's there's um, kind of a complaint that these rich kids don't know what they're really getting into. Because uh, basically, I'm not gonna tell the whole story because it's very long. But I'll say that this, these students in France are seeing the poverty and inequality around them, and they're calling for the basically for the monarchy to. Um, uh, help help these people out, uh, and when it doesn't happen, they like go to go to arms. Basically, they they fight they fight the the reigning um, leader leaders in France. Uh, but they're just they're, they're rich students who it's like a mix of like snobbery and like education leads them to a really good thing. And in that in that book and uh, and in the play the people who have the most heroic moments are the, the rich people. You have Valjean, you have the students, um, you have Cosette and Marius who are all rich, all of them. Uh, the only one who is not rich that is a hero is Eponine and she gets uh, spoiler alert. She gets killed. And, and so there's something about like, even, even in this story of equality and beauty, it, the, the impoverished are still stomped out. Yeah, and I think if I'm remembering my history correctly, like there is a component within that because it's like the French Revolution. It's one of the there's there are it's not the main French Revolution. Yeah, it's yeah. one of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and there the, and then this ties back right to what we were talking about before about like this. There's sort of like a civil rights oh, vibe to yeah. this episode uh-huh. and everything, but it's like there's also like an economic rights component mm-hmm. of it, and I think mm-hmm. we often decouple civil rights and economic rights. Mm-hmm. And so like in in um. What's her name? The lead girl in this. I just Rhonda. Rhonda. Rhonda, the thing that seems to get her the most, besides like this this fact that she has to wear glasses, is like the squalor that these dorks have to like operate yeah. within and live yeah. within. And yeah. it's like it's this call that like these material conditions are not sufficient. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she's mm-hmm. yo so used to like fancy things right. that it, it would make sense like on a material level as well as like a uh, like a human level and human dignity and these sorts of things that like it would you just like you need food you need clothing mm. you need shelter like you need all these things and if you are a well-to-do kid student you're you gonna go have see that. these yeah. yeah and you go see that like what working class people are living in or poor people are living in there's like this clash of aesthetics and visual mm. that's mm. like this material concern and i think mm. that is interesting because we want to say like Rhonda's like asserting her humanity, which she is, but yeah, there's yeah. also like a heavy material component right. to it too. That's like almost just as important. Well, it, it, like why should those dorky kids like have a table that doesn't work or have to play with a ball that it's doesn't a good work? Point. Yeah. Because those it's not wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the, that's the same thing with the, the Shakespeare bit is that 
these characters that are definitely not healthy characters. Like, they're not good people. They have good bits, but they're not good people. They say a thing that's true, and you go, yeah, you know what? They're not wrong. Like, they're... Yeah. And that ma- that makes their their change more powerful because totally. they they're speaking truth even in their ignorance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and, and and this episode it ties like you said, it's like sh- so she steps into civil unrest and civil inequality and says I will be the savior, I will be the queen of the geeks. And that's partly true. Yeah. But she's also voicing her own opinion about um that she's not as rich as she quote rich. I mean, it's more, more complicated than money, but basically she doesn't have the financial and um, structural status that she once did. Mm-hmm. And so she's like reasserting it. Yeah. Well, they, so, they call her the queen. Oh, interesting. It's like, there's absolutely, mm-hmm. that's not, there's no equality if there's a queen involved. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. So it's, mm-hmm. and, and, and it could, things can still be better, but it's like still like that. You can argue that like that role is an oppressive one. You know what I mean? So, I mean, let's talk though about, I think when I, let's talk about Rosa Parks. That's really what I want to get to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember rewatching this like a week ago and think for the, you know, for the first time in a while and thinking, man, they're ballsy for diving so um, specifically into the posture of Rosa Parks because yeah. that's about race. That's yeah. about something that cannot be changed. Um, and that's not about, um, uh, childhood um structure that is not about uh childhood economics is not really about race or poverty although those things definitely do seep in it's a it's a much more complex narrative that it's like legends that get passed down that don't make any sense they're they're all surreal there's there's not like the tie to history isn't like well it's the way it's always been only that it's also like it's a ridiculous well this show's almost like in a weird way like a post-racial type show yes yes like so even when and and like there's problems with that in theory and practice but i mean just in the case of this show there's not i'm not assigning like a good or bad to that uh calling it that but like even when they're sitting at the four square thing he's sitting at the four square thing when those kids come with the ball that's inflated and they want to play like if you look at that group of people they're like tall males but they're like multi-ethnic yes yes yes. and so you realize that and i think this is why this episode to me is really tapping into like the structural element of problems yeah that like yeah 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 that power and the assertion of power transcends race transcends economy and those things are all intertwined but Mm. like power is much more deeply rooted than that yeah like, I think at first when you see it, you go, what are these two white girls complaining about? Like, they're complaining about where they're sitting on the bus. Like, how dare they? I think that's my, like, go-to because probably wh- white people wrote this episode and I can be like, oh, like, how much do they really understand the plight of sitting at the back of the bus? But I think if it had been a black girl, if Rhonda had been an African-American girl doing the same move it probably would have been more offensive because then it would have been so specifically about race instead of about race and about class and about yeah. structure. It's about all those things at once. It, totally. It, it's absolutely referencing Rosa Parks. It, it like, Yeah. You can't sit here on the bus. You have to go to the back. So it, it absolutely is referencing that. But by changing it to geeks, it makes it about 
all injustice and all totally. And I think you, what, and in, in a way to like, just be in line with the show or truthful of the show, like these are students and children. Yeah. So like a bus, like a classroom, like the playground, like there's a certain social component yes. that operates within that. And that's true with people generally. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think them like playing with that idea to prove a point, like it, it's tricky. I think, I don't yeah. know. Do they pull it off or do they not? I, I don't can't know. judge. Yeah. And I don't know. I have no idea. But I think like as a tool, I think if you really dive, if you like go deep, like I think we're trying to with this episode that actually what they've said, if you want to make it racial, right? Because of the Rosa Parks connection, like what they're essentially saying is like, although people get to sit wherever they want, those oppressive structures still Continue. exist. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's like a very truthful, realistic yes, yes. read. Is a child going to read into that or a parent that's like watching this while they're cooking dinner? Like, or Maybe not. putting something in the microwave? Maybe not. But like, if you really want to analyze it, I think from our perception, it's yeah. still there. And that's, to me, if you're going to like make that play, right? That, that the historical play. Yeah. Um, it is about as true to that as you po- kind of can try to be. Well, and I guess I, what I would hope is that, you know, the kids who are who are watching, the kids who first watch this show, you know, they're probably between the ages of 8 and 13, probably, are the kids watching Hey Arnold. That's or the, like 28 and like 35, if you're like listening <laughs> right, to this podcast. Right, right. But I mean, like, the people originally... <laughs> yes, it is a show for all ages, but I mean, the, 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 the Nickelodeon demographic is yeah. 8 to 13, basically. Yeah. They're probably, mo- many of them probably were reading about uh, Rosa Parks at the same time they're watching this. Or heard about it in class or talked about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so hopefully hopefully the writing is such that even though it's not exact, it's close enough to where the kids can go, oh, this seems a little bit familiar. This seems like stuff I've read about with civil rights and with the story of Rosa Parks, um, who I've been reading about her a little bit recently, like doing some research on her. She is she was badass. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I think there's so little told about her um, because there's, there's so much that happened in the civil rights movement. Like what's told about her is, is this, she was on a bus. Someone said, move. She said, no, she got arrested. And all you think of is this like middle-aged woman just shaking her head, like clutching her purse or something that at least that's the image that I'm, that I've, had in my head but when you look in deeper like no she was a fierce civil rights activist totally and this was like one of many um uh one of many power plays that she that she did um yeah like writing a wrong and i think the reason that that is is there's always a desire to create a narrative that's pretty simple that you can quickly explain yeah and i get it, it it also in a weird way like really plays into our idea of what it is to be American very mm, easily, mm. which is like, and that's like the idea of like getting the British off our back. You know what I mean? Like mm. these taxes, like what's up with these taxes? Yeah. You know I mean that kind of shit? It's like, it, it's a way to like easily digest it where, you know, we're Americans. Mm, and when mm. we're, something is done, done wrong to us, like the individual stands up and by the individual asserting themselves, everybody right, right, benefits. Right. So it's like a way to like, to like talk about individuality, yeah. individualism, oppressive structures but like in a way that's like it's like kind of become as time goes on like all most stories Mm. and narratives like kind of sanitized right and yeah you don't hear about her being like a a like yeah way more complex figure yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah i mean she's no ronda wellington lloyd but you know (laughs) we'll 
So here's here, okay. So here's another thing I want to talk about. Um, I mean, we could keep talking about civil unrest. What do you think? I mean, is there more you wanted to say about nah. that a little bit? Well, uh, maybe later. I, I think I'll we'll see. see. We'll see. Um, we'll, so we'll let the listener, you know, whoa, do their own whoa. work and research. Uh, so th- the visual symbol of her glasses is so wonderful mm-hmm. and beautiful, in that there's there's a excuse me. Um, the narrative that Rhonda is existing in is this. She doesn't see that she doesn't see that the geeks are treated poorly and she participates in treating them poorly. Um, she's blinded. She, she's blind to that. And it's such a simple visual of her putting on glasses. And basically as soon as she puts on the glasses, she goes through, um, um, a learning experience, uh, uh, learning to see the thing that she did not see. Um, and you could have said that, I guess, without glasses. Cause I mean, Brainy doesn't have, er, Eugene doesn't have glasses. Like it's not just about glasses. It's just about geekdom in general. Totally. But the glasses are a great symbol for, I once didn't see, and now I do. Totally. Yeah. There's a, um, wrinkle in time is like one of my favorite books. And there's, um, a moment where she put the only way that she can see how to the, the main character Meg can see how to save her father um, is by wearing these glasses and she can see basically the path she needs to take. And that was my first experience with that symbol. And I mean, it's, it's a trope that is used all the time, like some kind of um, either a veil is taken off and you can see, or some kind of um, sight is put on and you're able to see. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a lovely image and it, it's kind of an unsung, the unsung hero of this episode is that symbol totally. of, of having your eyes opened. Like, I mean, it's, it's enlightenment. It's, it's Christ opening the eyes of the blind man. There's, there's so many, um, uh, uh, symbols in mythology and religion and, um, fiction that carry that, that symbol with a lot of weight and, um, it's it's simple. It's not it's not. I don't think it's hammered home. It, like you don't you don't. It's not the most obvious symbol if you're not looking for it. But I think because we're talking about her coming into terms, uh, coming to terms with her villain her villainy, it 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 makes us more. It makes that symbol more accessible to us. Yeah, and I think it's like yeah. I think that there there's all of that that you just said, and I think it also is like just. Physically, it's like a sign of weakness and a flaw. Totally, yeah. And yeah. like, oh yeah, it's a it's a very full symbol. It's not just the being able to see. Totally, the weakness is part of it too. Yeah, and I think so. I was thinking when Eugene is in the bus and he's getting motion sickness, car sickness, and he throws up. Like that's the thing he can't control. Mm-hmm. Like if you need glasses, it's not a thing you can really control. Right, right. And. So it's like these things that are like out of your control, but people still judge you for them, which like most things, that's how most things are. Um, I guess there's like a racial component to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, sexuality, all sorts of things. Like the things that are out of control, your control, but society and people like judge you based off of them. Um, I think a lot, of, it's not just sight. It's like, it's, it's when you come up, when, when an affliction happens to you, um, that you didn't have before you then understand the plight of all people who have that affliction. Totally. So Dallas Buyers Club, the guy yeah. who yeah, yeah. gets it from a needle, but he then 
and he gets AIDS. Yeah. And he becomes friends with an entire group of people who have AIDS. People yeah. who are gay, um, totally. transgender, all the all these uh, the um the stereotype of who has AIDS are there. But he's also there. He's it's, not, it's humanized. It, yeah, it, 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 it's like all people can have AIDS, not just the stereotype you assume. But totally. it also allows him to enter into that space in a way that he wouldn't have otherwise. Well, yeah, it's it's like that movie's interesting in terms of this because, like, at first he is very frustrated and upset, and then he you see the humanity, or he sees that it allows him to see the humanity in others. Right. Right. And well, it's very similar to this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is really similar. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, great. Yeah. Great actor. I didn't um, know that until the right, last few right. roles he's all right, done. All right, Yeah. I really loved uh, Interstellar a lot. I know some people were like, oh, about it, but I really loved it. Yeah, and it's cool just to see a movie or a show where it's like, what is time really? It's like a flat circle, you know, all that great shit. Oh, Lincoln commercials yeah. and everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Those are two different things. Those aren't Interstellar, but cool. No, yeah. yeah. But they're all connected. It's all there. Yeah. It's all there, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Just a great, yeah. I love that symbol of the glasses. I think it's, uh, it's the un, yeah unsung hero. Um, what else? I did write down other stuff. Let me just make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah, go through that notebook of yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we covered all of it. Well, we didn't. We didn't quite cover uh, one thing. It's a new segment I like to call shit on Arnold. <laughs> Can I tell you why? Greg wanna... Bartlett is never going to come on the show. <laughs> no, 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 me no, for... no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, th- I think, look, this bit that I'm going to talk about, about what, what I, what, it's not that I can't stand about, I, I'm just going to give him a hard time. And, and Well, this is actually an interesting discussion. Yeah. But that you All can right. ha- launch off this. All right, so cool. I, I, I'm in favor You're ready. Of this. Cool. Yeah. So eventually there's going to be an episode called Deconstructing Arnold, which is one of the best episodes. It's one of the most post-structuralist cartoon shows, cartoon episodes of any show ever. Um, it, it basically all the friends challenge Arnold to not help out anybody. Like, this is what you are. What happens if you take this away? Are you still you? Yeah. Which is like a profoundly deep question about identity yeah. and about, um, yeah, about uh, like the structure of, of narrative even like, uh, uh, the story is about Arnold helping people. What happens when he doesn't? What will happen to the narrative mm-hmm. if Arnold's not there? So uh, the writers are very self-aware that um, uh, they're writing a character who is a people pleaser, a helper. He can't help but help. Um, and he Arnold has two lines in this episode, two. And both of them are him trying to figure out a way to fix the situation to insert himself <laughs> to, in there to insert himself into the, this heroic thing and and the the narrative just brushes past him it's great so the first is um Rhonda's walking by Arnold and Gerald's lunch table dejected and Arnold says you can sit with us if you want and nicer than that he says it in a yeah. nice way and so i think when you first hear him say that you're like oh that's Arnold being nice that's really cool and Rhonda goes Arnold, you don't need to pity me. I don't want your pity. And there is something true about that. Like, it's it's like, Arnold, what, like, are you just noticing that she, like, that's not enough. Inviting her to sit at your table isn't going to help the situation. Well, there's like something like, like, like a deep cut in that, or it's like meta. There's something about it that's really weird because it's like this thing that we talk about where he's like such a fixer that it's like yeah. almost annoying. Yeah. But it's like, it's like that feeling exists in the show yeah. oh, but they does. don't always talk about it yeah. and in that uh-huh. moment they're like making a really great yes, yes. quick nod because to it because really the, Arnold 
I'm sorry, Gerald and Helga have made nods to it, but no one else has. And so it's fun to start to see other characters call out that quirk. And it's in within, if you like, are looking at the linear fashion that the show is operating on, it's interesting to see another character come into that yeah, later yeah, and in the second yeah. season where it's like, yeah. now everybody kind of notices yeah, this yeah, yeah, and yeah. you just kind of feel it and see it, yeah. which is like, it feels weirdly human so and real. I, I think when I say I want to, I want to shit on Arnold, it's not, I love this. I mean, it, it, the thing is, the thing that's the most strong about his character is also the thing that is his weakness too. Totally. His strength is that he has unbelievable empathy yeah. he um can read people he reads the room um and he's a good person but that also means that um those things are so tied to his identity that he doesn't yeah. know how to it's almost like knee jerk it's, it's an, like it's just yeah. way how, how it operates exactly so the second thing which is even worse this first bit is just like funny to see Rhonda calm out the second bit is like the grossest swipe like you know uh Rhonda and Eugene like totally like save the day you know they're the they're Rhonda and Eugene are the ones that shake up yeah the the bus structure so if anyone should have made this announcement it should have been one of them yeah but instead everyone's cheering and Arnold like breaks through and says yeah yeah that's right we should tear down the walls of 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 civil inequality yeah Uh, everyone should sit wherever they want and everyone cheers and it's like Arnold you son of a gun yeah that is not your battle you just like that's the he like kind of mansplained the whole thing he he did and he it's did. like there is it is this is another like one of those classic debates where it's like what is it like there's a conversation about like what does it mean to be an ally like say totally. for for, for oh, like dang. white white males and all of these things as you and i both are <laughs> as we talk about these things this it is a contentious debate like yes, what yes. does it mean to be an ally is there le- legitimately such thing as an ally and this cuts even to the ronda conversation in this too she's a quote unquote ally right, more right, or less right. even though she's sort of involved in it she's kind of detached from it as she's well she's the cue yes and it's right. like what is and it's like what is your legitimacy yes. like how is it is this like a so like a social play is it like a you're rolling with the times and you're still trying to like capitalize on this in some sort of social currency that's what it feels like when arnold does that yeah and i think if if the episode had been about arnold seeing the injustice at the beginning of the episode and then the rest of the episode is him trying to help the geeks i'd be all for it because that's what arnold does he he notices a problem and does something about it but the times when this happens which is the thing is happening arnold has seen it arnold Asked Rhonda if he wanted if she wanted to sit with them. Yeah, and then he did nothing else. So totally. when I, he's operated within this this bus structure, yeah, as a yeah. passively for so long that it's like now he feels yeah. like it's his time as the the the, yeah, as the it's wheels already, of history yeah. are already, yeah, already and, rolling. And I know, hmm, I don't know if that second bit with Arnold saying that was the writers saying, "Look at this fixer." The first bit, I really do think it was. I yeah. think they are calling that out. I don't know if the writers met. I would love to ask. Literally, Larry like letter if that was on purpose because it's a fascinating look into the psyche of Arnold totally and I don't think every episode we're going to have this segment because most episodes he's like the hero or a good guy or, or boring or boring well, yeah one of those three <laughs> you don't need to shit on him and bo- when he's boring no he's no no, no. Boring. Yeah. yeah I think yeah so I don't know we'll see I'm hoping I'm hoping it's a recurring not every episode but a recurring segment yeah and, and that's what so to keep going with this for just very briefly no is, we're done is is that there is like a positive response. And so it's like you almost, it's like you want, you do want that solidarity. Yeah. You do want that reaching across the aisle. It's like, but, and, and he's so well-intentioned that he's the kind of person in these situations, which is what we hope for, that you go, 
this person's well-intentioned. Like, it's a little complicated what you're doing there, you know? But, like, yeah, come along. Like, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. good. Like, he's it's, not wrong. He's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like pick your battles type of situation. Totally. And totally. in reality, like, then in a person like Arnold in the show or people like Arnold in society, it's like what is their role? He should have had a more active role all along, right? And sometimes he does. And sometimes he does. But it's like, are you really going to, like, I don't know, like, when do you – talk about that or fight about that you know what i mean oh yeah like we're only gonna we're gonna talk about a cartoon character behind his back not yeah in front yeah of his face, exactly. so it's fine i'm not worried about it at all but the idea of allies is very interesting and this show does that very well at the end no it's totally true yeah um okay cry of the week how are you feeling what's the oh no i don't know um this is a segment but i didn't think about it yeah um I think it's it's funny, but there's like true pathos in this moment, which is the second time that Rhonda is with the nurse because she is so overwhelmed by the bus sitting in the back of the bus and feeling feeling lesser than. And, you know, Rhonda is at at her lowest point. You know, she's she knows what's coming. She knows that more humiliation is coming. And the the humor is that this like this stuffy like awkward you know chubby uh, uh, aunt of Sheena who's also a geek um, is trying to comfort Rhonda. There's, it's funny, but she says it. There's so much pressure being the coolest girl in school. And there's nothing more true that's been said in Hey Arnold's yet. Like that, that's the, I mean. The, like, yeah, there is social pressure. There's social pressure. I, like I, especially when we see the way her parents treat her. Yeah. Like it's that relationship with her mother is horrible. Seeming. It's horrible. Yeah. But they're not, it, it's, it's so unhealthy. It's more unhealthy than Helga and Miriam. Cause at least Helga yeah. and Miriam have some honesty in their anger towards each other. Yeah. And it's totally vapid. It's, it's like they're yelling at nothing. Yeah. And, but the mom is talking horribly about Rhonda, but Rhonda doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. Like, don't call me ugly. Don't call me, yeah. you know, she just like takes it. Um, well, cause it's that weird type of criticism where it's like, but you're better than that. Yeah. And it's like, it's backhanded. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And I think when, when that, when the nurse says I was the most popular kid in school, that's where you laugh. You go, Oh no, you weren't, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, yeah. we don't know her backstory, but that's not the part. That part is funny but that's not the part that gives me pause. It's, it's that line. It's really, it's a really powerful line saying being cool is hard. There's a lot yeah. of pressure. Yeah. I think maybe for me, it's like sort of, Oh, that's three tears for me. <laughs> I think like four tears for me. Maybe it's like the, when you see that, like the social, how low the, the dorks are on the social sort of ladder. And then you see that there is like, not only, um, the way that they're treated, but also like their like material conditions, mm. like are are th- are that way as well. It's like manifesting in a material fashion. That part of it is weirdly sad, because you know that that's like real. You know that oh, yeah. like kids that live in poor neighborhoods, like their schools are in shambles. Like that type of situation as like a le- legitimate. And then you have rich kids down the street in those oftentimes in those bad neighborhoods that mm. go to private schools mm. and they're like modern day in Santa Ana where yeah. we're, where we're yeah, recording yeah. near where we're recording. Like those are extremely rich kids, like yeah. driving Mercedes 
And then down the street, they're like in a pretty like poor, rough part of Santa Ana. And it's like knowing that there's that obvious difference. It's pretty sad. It's tragic. Yeah, and there's there's I think those kids too. They their response to criticism would prob. I'm just guessing, but they probably would say something like, "Yeah, I mean, I know there I know there are kids who are poorer than I am." And that would be it. They wouldn't really think about it. Yeah, because nothing they, they're doing is causing them to think deeply they, about that. They, to them, it just means like they don't get to drive Mercedes around. Like, probably not. But also, it probably means that they're having to eat fast food and like cheap cereal all the time. Well, and that because that's social. Like, like they're tr- the point of those types of schools is to get supposedly a superior education. Right. But it's also to like perpetuate that social yes, structure. Yes. Like you're supposed to then go to a college yeah. that is the same so, and continue that sort of, yeah. that lineage of wealth and prosperity and those sorts of things. I was talking with, um, a jock recently, um, Ugh. very nice guy, um, <laughs> in case he listens to this. Uh, but we, I was, I love that at, at our approaching 30, that that is still a thing we hold on to. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, the we, fucking we were, jocks. <laughs> we were talking about, um, kind of our experiences playing baseball growing up. And he was like the star pitcher at nine years old. And this, I had never met him before. So we're like, I'm learning this as we talk. He could not comprehend that I had a terrible experience playing baseball. He, he was like, Oh, that must've been a one-off thing because I had an amazing experience. Yeah. He never had to think about it otherwise. Yeah. And I, and I had to like walk him through slowly, like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Like, and those were five different coaches from different teams. Did yeah. That to me. And then, then it's like, Oh wow. Um, I guess I got to rethink that. And I'm not saying that everyone has to know everything about everybody. Like I'm not saying yeah. it's impossible, you know, totally. but to assume that because you don't, you didn't experience it. That it means, doesn't exist. Yeah, it's like crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone says that it happened, it probably happened. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's a small chance that that person is is like a narcissistic liar or something. Yeah. But if someone says this was my experience and I had other friends who had the same experience, you probably should accept that experience. Well, like and in the social recreation that goes on in private schools, right, for perpetuating wealth, right. like what is the utility to learning about, like to truly learning about people that have less than you, maybe to make you feel good, yeah, in a weird way, mm. or maybe you like you donate food or you do this little action, right? That's but true. Like, wow, there's truly no utility to a star athlete thinking about the fact that there no. are athletes oh, yeah. or and that there are people argument. playing the sport <laughs> that benefits them. That doesn't help him, yeah, at yeah. all. It's like, yeah, it's actually an apt comparison. Well, and I, I think like, and I. I he said something that I agree with, but I think if you go deeper, you need to like really admit that that thing is true, which is life's life's not fair. If you're not good at baseball, you're going to sit on the bench. It's like, like, yeah, that's like, and I don't want it any other way. Like, of course I want the people who are good to play. I get it. But really think about that. Yeah. Like, like the you're implications letting, of what you're saying. You're letting yeah. people who are not good, stay not good. So yeah. you can keep being good. That's the only way that thing will keep going. That's well, the only way. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if we, sh- and that, and that, that's the, well, it's like a meritocracy welfare and like, yeah, it's, a meritocracy it's like, thing. yeah, yeah. And I, I, there's, so the question isn't, should I think that merit 
should be a good indicator of of receiving a thing. That's not my issue though. My yeah. issue is how do we get people to have the merit needed? That's yeah, what I yeah. want to do. I, I, if if you're lazy, you're never going to get that merit. If you're truly yeah. lazy, you're never going to get it. So let's whether it's well, baseball, it's about leveling the playing field, it, which is what this episode is about. The bus. It, it kind of is, but it, yeah, I mean, there, it's a little different because this is about a thing that she can't change, which is her eyes, her yeah. eyesight, and. Eugene's stomach problems, but yeah. we honestly, I feel like this is the longest episode we've had in a while because we've we had a, a lot of injury. I mean, we could have talked so long about all this stuff. I, yeah, I, this is a, I, a bit more. This is like a this is this is the kind of episode that's really loaded and that you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I I, I thought about like doing a deep dive into the Merchant of Venice, and I'm like, why? No, there's, yeah, so there's so to much talk to talk about. If, if, oh, wait, that's I've never even I've never watched or read. M- me neither. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare's. Yeah. Pretty good, I hear though. And when you played that clip for me, we were talking about Les Mis, yeah, before, and I thought we were watching Les Mis. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So also, I, it's not pronounced Les Mis. It's, what? It's, I don't yeah, know what it is. Yeah, yeah Les Mis, whatever. Les Misérables. Les Misérables. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Oh, we do have a song of the week. How um, do you pronounce it? Well, Les, Les Misérables. I mean, that's oh, that, that's my the like. Gosh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, Freedom Prize. Wow. <laughs> what? The French are our allies. Anyone who says otherwise is a fool. Um, all right. The song is called um, Ruins. Uh, it's by Portico Quartet from an, the album of the same name. Uh, it's pretty fun. Um, yeah. Thank you for thank you for listening. Uh, hey, do us a favor. When you're done with this sweet song, rate and review. Mm-hmm. Send it to a friend. Ooh, sweet, sweet friend. Yeah. Don't s- watch it on Hulu. Watch it on Amazon. Watch it yeah. on support YouTube. Arnold. Support Arnold, and then think about supporting us too. Yeah. Just think about it. I always beg for money. I'm not doing it today. No. If you, but if we you will beg for it. emails. Yeah. Hey. Dot Harold, hey yeah. At gmail.com. Yeah. If you liked the episode, if you didn't like the episode, if you want us to talk about you on the show. We uh, might no promises. <laughs> uh, enjoy. I'm feeling giving. Well, good for you. <laughs> All right. Enjoy. Enjoy uh, your week, and talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.